Because here's the truth, and no one in the world has ever argued with me about it. You're either going to pay the street in mistakes and lost opportunity, or you're going to pay a pro, but the street is way more expensive and can actually devastate you. Welcome to Grid Talk, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's show, I've got Mitch Steven from San Antonio, Texas. Now, let me tell you, when I got done talking to Mitch, my mind was blown. I sat in silence for about five minutes, just processing what I just heard. Here's a guy that has thousands of storage units, hundreds of notes, and millions of dollars in positive cash flow. And he's a self-proclaimed simple guy, right, that's learned everything by paying the price on the street. And you're going to hear the journey of this real estate entrepreneur that built systems around his business, right, through frustration, built these systems around his business that helped him get out of the day-to-day operations and focus on the things that he loves most. Grid Talk! Guess what? Today, I got Mitch Steven from San Antonio, Texas on here. I'm so excited to have him on here. I mean, this man is a myth, the man, the legend. Uh, He's a serial real estate entrepreneur. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, man, it's my pleasure to have you on. Uh, You know, I was was listening to some of your podcasts earlier because you run a podcast as well, and I was inspired by some of the things you were saying in that podcast. But before we go into that, I want to give people a sense of who you are, what you've built, and then I want to kind of walk through the journey of what that looked like. Because, you know, I know the journey of a real estate entrepreneur is sometimes uh, filled with danger, right? And, and that's how we learn. And, uh, and so I, I like to cover the good, the bad, and the ugly when, when I'm talking to guests on our podcast. And so give everybody a, a quick little sense of, of who you are and what your business looks like today. And then we'll, we'll deep dive on some of the questions I have. All right. So uh, it begins the story about a dumbass. <laughs> and uh, I was about, you know, I was trying my hardest to find myself after high school. Uh, I, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I have a tremendous work ethic. And I tried lots and lots and lots of uh, different businesses from, I don't know, striping to window tinning to selling knives and copiers. I mean, I tried, I, I, I did a lot of stuff. I have a stack of business cards about this thick that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And um, then I stumbled into real estate, uh, basically on accident, bought a place that was seller financed to me. And I was making payments to the owner uh, so that I could buy it. And uh, through a chain of events, I ended up selling that condo and I ended up selling a, another condo I'd bought. And I ended up with more money in the bank than I'd ever seen in my life. And it was more than I made well over what I made in a year at my bartending job. I always had a bartending job at night so I could pursue the entrepreneurial effort of the month uh, during the day. And I was trying to find my place. And uh, I I was 34 years old when I finally found real estate. Uh, You know, it was because of that accidental purchase and sale where I made the money, the light bulb goes off and I thought I ought to look into this. So I'm buying books like Nothing Down by Robert Allen and Carlton Sheets and Jack Miller and Jimmy Napier and Dave Del Dotto and all the guys from way, way, way back. You know, I think a lot of them are not even with us anymore. And um, 
I started out buying houses, uh, fixing them or not fixing them, and, 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 and selling them with owner financing, and then selling the notes, usually within the same closing. You know, I, I actually was specializing in triple closings. I would buy it. No, I would get it under contract. I would find someone to buy it with seller financing, and then I would send all that information about the house and the and the potential buyer and the terms and his credit report and all that stuff. I'd send it over to the note company, and if the note company said they'd give me enough money for this note if I created it, then I would create the note and sell the note at the same closing table. I would actually buy it, sell it on pay, sell it on payments, and then sell the payments all in one closing. We called it a grand slam. I did it many, 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 many times. Um, I was dealing in the lesser parts of San Antonio. I did buy about my first hundred houses when I did end up purchasing my own houses and not doing simultaneous closings. I purchased my first hundred houses on credit cards because 27 years ago in San Antonio, Texas, on the lesser parts of town, you could buy houses for 10, 12, 15,000, 18,000, 20,000. Back 27 years ago, if you had good credit and you applied for a credit card, I discovered very quickly that every single one of them would send you a card with all the maximum cash advance limits. And so I applied for 60 something credit cards and ended up with about 50 credit cards. And I would buy houses, you know, like saying, give me 10 grand on this card and 10 grand on this card. And I go buy the house, give me 10 grand on this card and I'm going to rehab the house. And so I got 30,000 in credit card debt, by the way, 0% interest introductory offer. So I have no cost of funds, no closing costs, no permission, no asking anybody, just go, go to the deal, get my credit cards. Now there were some cash advance fees sometimes, but they paled in comparison to what I was making. Cause I'd sell that house for $60,000 on uh, owner finance and I'd sell the note for $55,000. So I, I net 25 grand. I did it a hundred times in a row, uh, at least, uh, using credit cards. And then, um, one day, Associates closed, and Associates was a, Ford, uh, a, a, a division of Ford Motor Credit, where all the um, third-party notes ended up. You know, hmm. they all ended up there. No matter who bought your note, it was ended up in a bundle, and it always ended up at Associates. And when they closed because of all the fraud, then um, my business stopped and I couldn't sell the notes. I had 53 houses in my inventory at the time. Um, and the note buying stopped overnight. We called it Black Tuesday. Wow. And, um, and I was forced. I said, well, so I said, the first thing I got to do is I got to load these houses because I got, at the time, I had some interest racking up, you know, or, or, or it could be racking up as soon as the six-month introductory rate ended. My interest rates were like 18%. The reason I could have 53 houses was because I didn't have to make any payments. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just accruing. If there was any interest on, on that month, it was accruing. And so uh, I didn't have any holding, monthly holding costs. So I loaded everything, owner finance. I ended up with 50 houses times about, let's just say $3,000 a house average down payment at the time because my houses, you know, were 30 to 50 to 60,000. I had 150,000 cash in the bank, and then I had about 300 a month coming in, 15,000 a month coming in. And I asked myself, why the hell did I ever sell a note? <laughs>
Why the hell did I sell a note? I was addicted to that $25,000 big check, but I, I could have just kept the down payments to live on and just racked up the cash flow. So from that point on, about 2001, that's I quit selling notes. I, and I, but I had to go back. And that's when I learned about private lending. And I had to, because when you deal with private lenders, you get to name your terms. Mm -hmm. And I was out there looking for 10, 15 year, 20 year money, you know, at eight or nine or 10% or 12%, didn't really matter. I was still going to make money. And I started finding the private money to do this. And it was wrappable. You know, it was in my agreement that I had the right to sell the house on payments, but not pay them off. So I would mm -hmm. collect from my, my buyer every month, the mortgage payment, and I'd pay out uh, every month what I owed my private lender. And uh, today... You know, I've done that. I've bought a house every four to five days in or about my hometown of San Antonio for over two decades. For over wow, two man. decades. That's awesome. And I created all these notes. Now, I don't, you know, notes expire. They get paid off. They get, you know, refinanced or they get people sell the house and the new loan buyer comes in and pays you off. So I, right now I'm collecting on about 300 notes and I average about $500 a month positive cash flow. So if you do the math, that's about 150,000 a month positive cash flow of which I am not a landlord. I am the bank. So if the air conditioner breaks or the hot water heater breaks or the roof leaks, it's not my house. I sold it to someone on payments. And so when the money comes in, it's my money. So that 150,000, anything short of a foreclosure, I don't have to give that money back to anybody. Wow. And and, and that doesn't count the down payments I picked up selling all the houses. I collected over a million dollars in cash up front to create these 300 notes. We're trying to get it to 500 notes. We've been trying forever, but every time we put 20 notes in, you know, 15 notes pay off that month. And so it's really hard to, for us at 100 houses a year to break through 300. So we hover plus or minus 300, you know, month in and month out. And one of the concepts that you were sharing with me yesterday was this concept of, and like, I'm going to butcher it, but it, it, it's, you know, you've got transactional, like now money that occurs when you're wholesaling, fixing and flipping. And then you've got this kind of money that pays off over time in notes. But what you really want to do is you want to convert it to forever money. How, how did you explain that? Help explain yeah, that. So that's. I think Jack Bosch in his book, Forever Cash, put it really well. So I like to quote him all the time. Uh, in his book, Forever Cash, he talks about there's one-time cash events. You know, that's one time, like a wholesale or a fix and flip. You know, there's one purchase, one sale, one check, it's over. So that's one-time cash. Temporary cash is like what I do with the notes. I get 10 or 12 or 15,000 down. They owe me a positive cash flow of $500 a month every month for 30 years. Mm -hmm. $500 positive cash flow for 30 years is, is $180,000 they owe me out in the future. But it's temporary. Notes have expiration dates. Notes get paid off. Notes get refinanced, uh, you know, for all different kinds of reasons. Um, so you can't really just sit there and live on a bundle of notes because you'll look up one year and they'll all be they'll all be paid off. Of course, you'll have a ton of money in the bank. You know, even when they pay you off early, they still owe you all that balance of the equity. In my, in my office, we try to buy a house for X and seller finance it for two X. 
Mm. You know, that's the goal. Doesn't always work out quite that good, but that's the goal. And and so the only way that the next step that you have to take if you want to get independent and work yourself out of a job is you have to take all the money that you make from the one time cash events and the temporary cash events as you're stacking up money in your account. You got to buy into a forever cash strategy, which would be apartment complexes, strip centers, commercial buildings, something that you rent. Now, I chose to buy a little mom and pop boat and mini storages around the lake where I live. I have 12 to 14 locations, depending on how you want to look at it, because some of the locations are contiguous. And I have 1,300 storage doors. In wow. addition to my 300 more, I have 1,300 storage doors that owe me about 100 a month. So if you do that math, it's 130000 a month. I started that business with 13 units in 1991. I've worked it up to 1,300 doors uh, today in 2021, and the rents are now about 100 bucks a month average per unit. And uh, I have very little debt on that anymore because I've been doing it for 27 years, and a lot of things have paid off. Yeah. And what I love about it when you were describing it is like you you're like, I'm a simple guy. Right. It's got like one light bulb, one door, no toilets, right? no carpet, no windows. Uh, it's hard to tear up, baby. In the foreclosure process in Texas for storages, if I'm Johnny on the spot with the notices and the late notices, I can auction that unit on the 32nd day. They haven't paid me. Got it. Do you have to do that a lot? Well, you know, usually we work something out, you know, pay me half and get your stuff and get out by the end of the week or or just get out. You know, I got people waiting for this. You know, I, I don't like to hurt people, but when they just ignore me or or lie to me or or just, you know, take advantage of. Yeah, yeah. just some of those people that just don't treat you right. You know, I just go through the due process, you know. Well, I remember I remember hearing you say something and you, I couldn't stop laughing when you said it. You said a lot of these, because I guess maybe it's around a lake or something, a lot of them people store their boats there. And you're like, people would rather lose anything else besides their boat, right? It's like one of those things. They're just not going to lose their boat. Well, the cool thing about boats and boats these days are 80, 100, 150,000 boats, you know, with the ski racks and the you know the stereo systems and i mean they're just expensive expensive when i started i was renting um 10 by 25 boat stalls for little fishing boats uh today i have to have 15 foot by 30 foot long by 15 feet tall because these boats are bigger and the turnaround room between the buildings has to be longer because the trucks got bigger that haul them you know the extended cab four-door pickup trucks are everywhere long beds and then the tongue on the trailer and then this boat and then the motor hanging off the back of the boat. You're talking about a 40 foot unit that has to be at least, you know, 13, six high is, is what the bridges are on the highways, the major highway. So I put them at 14 feet tall. And so the cool thing about these boats, though, they usually have a mortgage on the boat. Mm -hmm. And so if I overlock the boat and capture the boat or hold the boat as ransom, if the if the owner of the boat doesn't pay me, the bank has to pay me to repossess it. Interesting. Interesting. Man, that, or, that, or, I get, or, or I get a free boat. You know, or you I get, get a boat. off a big boat. I have two tactical questions to ask you. 
tactical question number one goes back to the notes, right? Are you putting in something into that into that notes as, that says that you can't be paid off in like a five-year period or a 10-year period or there's a prepayment penalty? No, because we're selling, usually selling homes to homeowners. Oh, got That's it. my niche. That's what I like. Uh, they have the highest amount of give a shit, you know, the homeowner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's country for it. Like they care a lot. And, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's against the law to have a prepayment penalty uh, uh, on a, on a, on a homestead. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then with the um, with the sword units, are you building those? Or are you like fi- like at this point? Are you building more? Or are you like acquiring them? I. You know what I did was you'll find this interesting. One day, a little realtor called me and said they got these 13 units down at the lake that they want 8,000 for. It's right in the entrance of a major state park, Mm -hmm. right across the street from the entrance. And a lot of people put in there, you know, put in the water there. So I bought that 13 units for $8,000 on my credit cards, leased it all up, collected all the payments and sent directly to the credit card. And I was paid off. I paid it off in a year and four months or something like that. And then I got to looking at it, another accident. You know, I don't, I'm not smart enough to come up with these. I'm I'm a very simple man. I recognize pain when it happens and I try to orchestrate my business to avoid it as much as possible. And then Mm -hmm. when I recognize pleasure, I try to figure out how to make it happen more often. Well, Mm -hmm. the boat stalls are real pleasurable. They, they just paid and there was no maintenance to speak of. So, I called the realtor up and said, how many of these places are around this lake? And there was a lot of them, uh, 50, 60, 80, 100, I don't remember, it's 27 years ago, but it was you know, more than I could buy. So I, 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 I went and I made, I made 10 bundles, no, 12 bundles. I made 12 bundles and I mailed like, say like 80 people every six months. I would go to the, I would, I was smart enough to know that if I, had to do this every six months, I wouldn't do it. So I spent mm-hmm. one period of time. I made a bundle to go out every six months for six years. And I oh my made God. them all. I made them all and put them in my closet. And I bundled up every six month bundle. So every six months I walk in my closet, I grab a bundle, I go to the post office. This was before forever stamps. I tell them to put the postage on it and mail them. Every six months, I mailed every mom and pop owner saying, if you ever decide to sell your units, would you please um, think of me and call me? I would like to consider buying them if you're ever interested. And one by one, the old men that that ran them would die and the the surviving widow would want nothing to do with them. And I would go, I would go and talk to them, and then I'd find out what they're going to do with the money. And every single one of those widows, seller financed me those properties at 15, 20 years at 10 or 12%. Um, and then all we had to do was figure out what they needed some money for right now. Did they need a new car? What's that? 10000 You know, what, what do you need? Or some of them didn't want anything. Uh I was able to tell some of them, you know, I'm going to have to put 10,000 in repairs to these. Uh, can I do that in lieu of a down payment? It's all, it's all fixing up your collateral. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I seller financed every single one of them. Uh, and then as they got straightened out 
And as I matured as a businessman, I would go to the banks and get some real affordable money. And then I would go to the person who financed it and said, look, I got to pay you off. However, I'll continue to pay you 10% if you'll let me substitute some collateral. And then I would move their money and collateralize it by houses. Oh, wow. Wow. That's so smart. Because I told them, if I pay you off, you're going to have to pay tax on all this money. You've mm-hmm. long since depreciated them out. They'd owned these properties for 20, 25 years. They had long since been depreciated down and out by their CPAs. And so if I paid them off, every bit of it, every ounce of it, they had to pay tax on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was able to explain that if I give you this lump sum, you're going to get hit with this tax bracket and you're only going to be left with this much left, or we can just move it and I'll keep making payments to you on the same amortization. I'll just keep going. And it's a win-win, right? They they like that. They start relying on that check that's coming in every single month. I mean, it supplements Social Security. It's amazing. Right? Well, and then, then, and then, as always, when you carry a note, uh, when someone carries a note for you, you'll get the call. I really need my money. Can you pay me early? And now we got another discount conversation going on. Mm-hmm. So I would buy the houses, buy the end up buying a lot of them for even less because they would want a portion of their cash, a lump sum up front or something. And I would negotiate a discount in my in my balance. Yeah. You know, how do you keep track of all these notes? Do you have a software? Do you develop a software? I saw, I went online. I was like, man, this guy like has developed some different tech tools. Like he he's... He's a freaking real estate entrepreneur, man, which is I, lo- I absolutely love. So do you buy a saw? How do you track it all? I guess is my question. Um, you know, early on, my wife, uh, you know, we kept we kept track of everything on amortization schedules and stuff. We did it by hand. It was, you know, but as we got bigger, we, you know, we bought like Notesmith, which was a $2,500 program, but it was a little jicky. But as we got bigger and bigger you know the last the system we have now is called the mortgage office or 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 tmo and it's twenty five thousand dollars uh it costs five thousand dollars to train the people on it but it's it sends out all the notices it it does all the year-end accounting it ties into quickbooks it's you know the one thing you have to keep doing as your business gets bigger is you have to keep automating or finding the software softwares or the apps or whatever that's that that help streamline your business it's a pain in the ass and you try a lot of things that don't work sometimes but you can't give up because you have to keep improving i was just talking to someone the other day said you constantly have to watch the bottleneck in your operation where is it and what's causing it and how do you how do you open it back up because there's always one sticking point it could be a person sitting in a certain chair it could be you know, your software is just not helping you at the level you, you need it to now. You need a bigger, better software or something. So, uh, and then I wish I'd have learned a long time ago because having uh, screwed up books and financials cost me a small fortune because I couldn't deal with banks. And I had to keep dealing with more expensive private money or hard money. And I could have refinanced out years and years and years ahead of time on a lot of different things when rates were really favorable, but I wasn't in order. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's easiest to sub out in your business is bookkeeping and collections. Mm-hmm. Do it from the very beginning. 
Use your time and your effort to go find houses. That's where you make money. You don't make money doing anything else. You make money writing contracts on houses for good prices. If you're doing anything else besides that, you got to figure out how to quit doing it. Yeah, we learned that the hard way too. We were running a property management business and and we, we learned real before we knew it, we had 300 assets under management. We were doing all the accounting ourselves. My wife wasn't a bookkeeper. Luckily, she had you know all the escrows correctly. But man, trying to figure out her P&L, it, it cost us a small fortune to bring somebody back in and fix a lot of that stuff, right? And I tell everybody, it pay, pay, pay the expert, right? Like an expert's knowledge is worth their weight in gold. Right, one hundred percent. Well, I I, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to tell you, but you said you want to hear the ugly parts. The last yeah. three and a half years, I spent two hundred and forty thousand dollars going back four years to straighten out what was all messed up. Every single transaction, about a hundred transactions a year coming in, and then another hundred transactions going out. You know, selling them. Uh, it took two hundred and forty thousand dollars to arrive at a uh, to arrive at the conclusion that I need to spend $75,000 a year in bookkeeping and CPA to keep it that way so that when when the bank says I need a financial I just said okay just call this guy well, we we want a loan I'm going to put you in touch with my guy right now we're interviewing a comptroller for $100,000 a year that he'll not only keep track he'll keep the financials up to date monthly so that I, I'm, I'm, I'm live in current monthly. It helps me know my business, you know, every month, but also um, he'll prepare my taxes. So my CPA only has to just go over them and then he'll work with us for tax strategy planning, which we've never been able to do because we were never in order and we were always getting our tax bill, you know, three hours before the deadline and we run in to put a check in the, you know, it, 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 it's horrible. And that's one of my most embarrassing business moments. There's a lot of them, but that's at the top of the list. Cost me a fortune. God only knows how much it really cost me in lost opportunity. You know, it's interesting. I think that 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 cautionary tale is so important. Like we experience that too, but not to that amount, not to that. But, you know, obviously your bigger was your business is, was substantially larger than ours. That that's when we started off, um, but you know it's a cautionary tale because people try to do this alone in their own vacuum without going to experts. And one of the things I love that you said before is you want to cut the learning curve for people, right? Like you don't want people to make the same mistakes that you made. It's one of the reasons why you do. I, I'm sure coach and train and develop people because you could take somebody. Teach them what you learned in one year. I mean, what took you 10 years in one year or two months, you know, have you, have you quantified that at all? I mean, it's like, well, yeah. So, so, you know, people say, well, I only have three houses. I don't need a, yeah, you do. If, if you have a bookkeeper for three houses, they're only going to charge you for the hours it takes to work on three houses and you get it. And if you get it straight from the beginning, it won't be very much. And your business has to acclimate to having that expense because unless you just want to stay at one or two or three houses all your life and go ahead and do it yourself, you know, uh, but, but it's all about what you can sub out. The easiest things to sub out are bookkeeping, collections, accounting, uh, sales, um, you know, sub out everything you can early on from the beginning, because 
you're like I said, your time is spent talking to motivated sellers. That's where the rubber meets the road. Everything else is bullshit. Yeah. Mitch, actually, I heard you say this before and I loved it. I heard like the frustration in your voice when you were talking about it. You said, you know, it took you something like five or six or seven times to be able to automate your business, to be able to scale out of your business, right? And it wasn't until you reached maximum frustration that it actually worked, right? Talk us through that because I think that's a valuable lesson, right? You said, hey, you've seen this trend where either people have so much money that they say, I don't give a shit, like you, I, I've got so much money, I'm gonna go back in and kind of fix my business, right? But that means that you gotta slow everything way down or the yeah, other yeah. you kind of fix it along as you go. So, you know, give well, most people don't fix it as they go. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because the business, one, once you get onto it, you're so into growing the business that it's not fun to look at this other crap. So you keep growing and keep growing and pretty soon your infrastructure sucks. It won't, it won't handle the load anymore. And it's almost everyone entrepreneur does it that way because we're, we like, we're deal junkies and we stay in the deal part of the site and we we hate office work and and paperwork and bookkeeping so we ignore it and then it becomes a big problem so what happened was i was a, you know i'd been a one man show for a long time uh i had tried to uh, I, I said not, automate's not the right word because you can't really automate it but i tried mm -hmm. to i tried to back myself out of the business so i could watch it run from afar Mm -hmm. And I tried to do that five or six times during my career. So around 17 years, 16, 17 years, I couldn't go anymore. I was exasperated. I was fried on both ends. I was, I, you know, I had done enough deals that it wasn't fun anymore, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I, on top of that, I was burned out. So mm -hmm. I decided I was going to put it all in a box and put it away, but I had $26 million worth of private money. These people have been with me for years. It was, it took a lot of effort to get that. I was known all over town. Realtors knew me. I was going to stop all that 15 years worth of goodwill and building a name. I was going to put it in a box, close it up and shut down shop. And I couldn't make myself do it. So I was making well over a million dollars a year. And I thought, damn it, you know, like, can't I give up? five or six hundred thousand to some key people and at least you know suck five or six hundred thousand out of this a year while i watch it from afar or while i vacation or tour the world or whatever it is i'm going to do it, and it just didn't make any sense to throw it away to put it on a shelf to shut it down so i said i'm going to do it but this time i'm going to do it different first this time i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to pay a person or people that, can, that have already done what I'm trying to do in this exact business. I, I'm going to find them. And I did find them. I, I found a, a mastermind. I ended up paying about $30,000 to be part of this mastermind for one year. Mm -hmm. I went with an open mind. I went with open arms. I went and said, you know, as long as this makes sense to me, I'm going to drink this Kool-Aid all the way down to the bottom. I'm going to let them unwind me and I'm going to allow them to wind me back up. I'm going to become passive in that sense of I'm going to become a student now. I'm, I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to listen and let mm. them fix me. Mm. And, and they did. And they did. But it took about 14 months, one chair at a time. As you got one good person, you could count on them. You go to the next chair. And then 
the other, you know, one of those chairs wouldn't work out. You'd have to fire me. I had to go back again and back and forth until I had the right person in every chair. And I recognized then why I had failed the other six times. One is I didn't hire or get in the room with the right people. And that usually costs money. And I didn't want to pay that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, I never had given myself permission not to do 100 houses a year. And so I was trying to fix a business with what was left over of me doing 100 houses a year, which there was nothing left. So mm-hmm. the year that it finally got fixed, only did about 30 houses. And I wasn't mm-hmm. even looking for those houses. Those houses walked in the door and laid down. It just came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and because I ha- I had taken a chunk of money and said, I'm not I'm not going to have, you know, I, I, I'm not a chunk of money, but I had said to myself, this business ain't going to make a lot of money this this year. I'm going to try to fix this business so I can walk out of it. And I'm willing to just accept half of what it used to make because I'm willing to pay these employees really good so that I can get free. Well, mm-hmm. what happened was... I made more money than I ever made, even though I paid those employees decent or good in, in a lot of cases, because, and I'd heard it before, but you know, Rob, sometimes we don't, we can read things or hear things or people can tell us, but we don't understand how hot that stove is until we put our fingers on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the kind of guy that will touch the stove twice with both hands. You know, I wonder <laughs> if it's this hand that, I wonder if it's the same for the other hand, you know? I'm a slow learner, but I eventually get it. And the reason why was none of those people were as good at me at sales. None of those people were as good as me at acquisitions. None of those people were as good at me at all these different tasks. Well, the bookkeepers and all the paperwork people were. But I was so divided in my time and and in my efforts that I couldn't be as good as them because they only focused on one task. If they were selling houses, they were only selling houses. If they were acquiring houses, they were only acquiring houses. Mm-hmm. If they were running a rehab, they were running the rehab, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and so I ended up, even though I have, you know, $50,000 a month payroll now, I make more money than I did when I wasn't, didn't have it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And, that, and, I, and I'm so proud to tell you, I have not seen the last 400 houses I've bought and I have not talked to nor met the last 400 people that bought my houses. So what do you, what did you do? So you got back your time, right? You got back your time. So what do you do with this additional time? Um, I do the fun part. I socialize with wealthier, successful people. We go to dinners and, and, and basketball games or football games or whatever. And I make sure that there's enough money to fund every deal that walks in there, that it's long-term, wrappable, um, decent rate for me, uh, something I can live with. And that's what I do. I've raised over $26 million. I, right now, on the first of the month, in about in about 10 or 11 days, I'm going to have to write payments on $26 million that I have on the streets right now from private people, not banks, from private people because I got freed up to do what I do best. You know, I got a partner named Mike Powell. He's over two salespeople and four acquisition men. I'm I'm responsible for him never having to worry where a dime comes to fund a deal. I'm, I take that. And because I can focus, 
I got really good. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he's focused on having to look for money and do a whole bunch of stuff. He's only concentrating on acquisitions and sales. He's got that team humming like a train down a track. And then we both watch the infrastructure, the center of the office, you know, the the admin people right in the middle, which is only two or three, that 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 tie everything together and and, and orchestrate the flow. And so, and by the way, those admin people in the middle are the only ones on payroll. Everyone else is paid upon success when the money hits the table. So I don't pay my acquisition guys until they, till we're acquiring a house and I borrow the money to buy the house and I borrow the money to pay their fee, you know, their, 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 their whatever. Uh, when there's a sales, the salesman brings somebody with a down payment. We make the sale. I'm making I'm making that salesman's commission payment to him, out of out of the down payment that he brought. So because I've been in businesses where you have to run to meet payroll every Friday, even if it was a bad week or month, and it's torture. You can't get off that hamster wheel and you can't shut it down. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to keep running, no matter no matter what. And I swore I would never get in that position again. I love that, Mitch. I think there's a lot of people probably listening to this and it's resonate, resonating like hardcore. I know it is for me, right? We've got a large payroll. We've got multiple offices. And I, what I love is that it's a lean, your operation's a lean operation, but man, it sounds wildly profitable, right? Because you've kind of built up this reoccurring revenue that, um, you know, that, that is so critical it, that business well, has so much value. What was that? Yeah, so so it could be more profitable, but we would have less freedom. So you got to give up a little bit sometimes for the freedom. You know, I could make an extra hundred thousand dollars, or I could be free. Well, I'd rather be free for the hundred thousand because what I am making is more than enough. I can't eat or drink everything I make already. So yeah. you know, your most valuable asset, everyone knows, is your time. Now, when you don't have any money. You'll sacrifice almost all your time trying to figure out how to get to the money. But once you get the money, you got to go back now and try to buy back your time. It's kind yeah. of, you know, it, I think it happens for every entrepreneur. You burn, 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 burn. You don't you don't get any time. You're burning your candle at both ends. You're trying to get enough speed going down a runway to lift this plane off the ground. And to do that, you got to pedal really hard. But then, then you get into it and you get in flight and everything's going well. But now... You've got everything centered around you and you have no time. So then you got to go back and buy back your time or figure out how to orchestrate everything a little different so now you can get your time back. Yeah, what you, is you, what is good as all the money in the world if you don't have your time? I agree. It's the most important, you know, asset that you have is your time. And it's funny that analogy, right? You you're running along the speedway to, to catch flight, you're you're hustling, you're grinding to make it happen. And then you're midair. And you realize you got to rebuild a friggin' plane when you're in midair, right? Because what got you to where you are isn't going to get you to where you want to go. And you got to like fix everything, yep. right? And then to get back your time. But you, I, like you said, I think that that is the journey that every entrepreneur is on, right? They got to learn how to make a dollar first, and then they got to learn how to get back their time as they build that business, right? For sure. So now it sounds like you're on a mission to help people. Yeah, and eventually, once you, yeah, I was going to say, eventually, when you get back your time, uh, 
you know, most of us are deal junkies or we're, we're, we're in it for the, the art of the business. And when you learn how to get your business to run without you, it's like, why would I ever retire? Um, mm-hmm. It'd be dumb. Um, so then it starts to be a little bit more about you have to have a higher reason to do this. You know, you can't I'm not doing it for the money anymore. And I know it sounds cliche. I know people that don't have the money really don't understand this or or can't understand it. But at some point. You, you have enough that there has to be a higher reason to get up in the morning and do all this. And for me now, it's my big thing is I like first and foremost to build a legacy for my daughter, who is that central administrator who has been with me for 27 years in the middle, watching every deal come in and watching every deal go out. So I want to make sure that she's well rewarded for her decades that she's been loyal to me. That's and, awesome. and then next I want to help other people that were like little old lost Mitch 27 years ago that just like someone show me how to make some damn money so I can so I can start living this life. I mean, someone help me. I'm willing to work, but I don't know what to do. You know, like so my biggest thing is, you know, Dale Ramsey does the primal screen when people get debt free. Mm-hmm. Right. I we ring the bell at my office. When my students call me and say, I just quit my job today. I fired my boss today because I don't need them. I have enough coming in every month. I don't need to have a job. And the reason why that's so important to me and the reasons why it's so important to anyone to get financially free, even at the most modest level, financially free doesn't mean rich. It just means you got more coming in than you got going out. When I got financially free, that meant thirty. That meant $3,001 had to come in. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't need a job because that's what my job paid me. And that's what I've been living off of. So the minute I had, th- that's not rich. Okay. But what it did for me was it freed up 2,600 hours a year that I didn't have to give to someone else's business that I could focus on me and myself and my business and figure out who am I supposed to be in this world? Mm-hmm. What is Mitch Stevens supposed to be? Where does he belong? What is he good at? What does he enjoy the most? How can he help the most people? And that 2,600 hours, you you can't replace it. We all just got the same amount of hours a day. Dude, I love that. You're inspiring me. You don't even know how you're inspiring me. And I know you're inspiring people that are going to be listening to this for sure, right? So if somebody wants to learn. So like what I'm. Go go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, if somebody wants to learn how to do this, you know, they, they need a guide, right? Like, do, do they go to a, a thousandhouses.com? You know, what, what advice would you give people, Mitch? I, I want to make sure you've been pouring into us. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm pouring back into you. Okay, so look, I, I'm not a millhouse. I'm not doing thousands of students. I'm not working the circuit, you know, but there'll be a certain amount of people out there that I resonate with, um, the strategies that I that I'm the best at is the seller finance strategy, but I've done wholesaling subject to adverse possession. I've I've done it all and I do it all, but it's all as a result trying to find the perfect owner finance property. Um, and if I resonate with you, then I'm your guy. Uh, that's great, but we're gonna talk first because I don't even want your money if I don't think I can help you. There's only mm-hmm. got three levels. One has no access to me, just a digital course. The next one's a weekly phone call for 3,500 bucks a year. You know, every Tuesday at seven o'clock central standard time, we get on the phone and I'll answer anybody's question. Me and Mike rotate every other Tuesday. You got the old man, me 60, already made it, 
don't need to do anything anymore. And then you got the young man started at 25. He's 33, multimillionaire, but he's still building his fortune. So you got the old man's perspective and you got the young go-getters perspective every other week. And our commitment is to stay on that call until every question's answered. And there's 500 hours of archive recorded Q&A calls. If you ever get, if you ever want to listen to more or don't want to wait till Tuesday. On the highest level, one-on-one, -on -one, you get my phone number for six months. Call me whenever you want. No time limits, 25 grand. But we're going to have a long conversation, maybe 45 minutes or an hour. If I don't think you're ready or I don't think I can help you in your market, I will not uh, take your money. You couldn't give me your money. Uh, I'll tell you what I think. I may say, why don't we move down to that $3,500 a year level and let's prove this business to you. $25,000 is too much to, to, to see if this business is for you. You know, mm -hmm. if, if it's for you, let's get on the call once a week and let's make $25,000, make the business, make the money. Uh, if I don't think your market's right for what you want to do, I'll tell you. If I don't think I'm right, I'll tell you. Uh, my thing is like my podcast, what I say on my podcast, I'm about to interview my 500 person at 1000houses.com podcast. I love it. I say, I'm just here to help people find their way to financial freedom. I don't, you pick me. If I'm your guy, great. If you don't pick me, pick somebody. But what you do is you get as much free as you can on the internet. You you try you look at all the strategies. Then you you gotta pick a strategy and become an expert. Just one. Because if you're all over the place, you're not gonna be worth a crap. You gotta pick mm -hmm. one and start drilling down, 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 down deep. And when you've gotten all the free stuff on that exact topic, that exact topic and you're sure it's the strategy, then you got to hire someone who is currently doing that exact topic to the level that you want to be at. If, you know, if they're doing one house or two houses a month and that's the level you want to be at, hire him. But if you want to do 50 houses a month, find a guy that's doing 50 a month, you know, whatever the case is. And, and then pay that guy. Cause here's the truth. And no one in the world has ever argued with me about it. You're either going to pay the street in mistakes and lost opportunity, or you're going to pay a pro, but the street is way more expensive and can actually devastate you. And there's no cheerleader for you. You know, when you hire someone like me, I'm looking way out ahead of you going like, I've been down that road. You know, what's going to happen about three quarters down the mile down uh, about three quarters of a mile down this road. You're going to get slapped in the head with a tree branch. Cause I know exactly where it hangs over the road and it's there every time. You know, I know. Ask me how I know. That's how this nose got like this. You know, I know, man. It's I. It's it's. Dude, I love that. You're gonna pay one way or another, like the street, either with the street or with a pro. And the street is way more expensive. So I tell everyone. I, I, I tell. I tell everyone I graduated from La Calle U. How's your Spanish? La Calle means the street. Some people get it. Some people don't. La Calle. The people that get it look at me and wink. I'm going to, I'm going to, La Calle, La Calle U, La University. I'm going to get a ring that says, a, a college graduate looking ring that says La Calle U on it. And, Dude, I love and, that. And here's the, here's the thing about it. It's the most expensive college in the world. It will take everything you have if you let it, and it'll kick you down the street and spit on you, and no one will prop you up out there. You know what I mean? You get a coach, it's like, you know, 
you got someone cheering you on, pulling you on, picking you up out of the dirt, dusting you off. Okay, that, that's not so bad. Let me show you how you fix this. Let's go over to the trainer. Let's get you greased up and get some, some tape on you. And let's get you back in the game. You know what I mean? Lakaye doesn't, Lakaye you doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it doesn't care. It's funny because my wife always says that she she went to YTU University. YTU University. YT. You, YouTube University. That's her university. Oh, yeah. YTU, right? She loves YouTube. Hey, well, Mitch, man, I appreciate you. Hey, on that, on, on, that, on, on that note, I just started a YouTube channel, 1000houses.com forward slash YouTube. Go there. I'm delivering 10 minutes of pure content every weekday for a year dude i love and that so uh, five five days a week and uh, it's really i'm really really giving some content because i realize there are people out there who are never going to hire a coach but there are also people out there that are going to recognize man this guy knows what he's talking about go there and see if i don't know what i'm talking about and and that's going to resonate with a handful of people Maybe I take 10 one-on-one -on -one students a year. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I turn a lot down, say, you know, go down. But so I'm not a millhouse, and I'm just looking for those 10, maybe 12 a year. That's it. Well, Mitch, we're going to put like all, all your, all your URLs, all your con all the contact inform information in the show notes, man, you've given me a lot to think about. And I know that there's a lot of people on this call uh, listening to this podcast that, that are going to get a lot of value out of this. So, man, I appreciate you so much and uh, you don't even know how much I appreciate you. So thank you so much for sharing with me today in your truck with your cowboy hat in San, where are you? Are you in San Antonio right now? Are you headed to your ranch? I'm really close to Bigfoot, Texas by my ranch, which is about 45 minutes South of San Antonio. Awesome, man. I don't know if I, I told you this, but I lived in San Antonio for a short amount of time. My family's from San Antonio and Laredo. And, you know, my, my uncle owns a tow wing station in Laredo. And, you know, I went to Gardner High oh, School in San Antonio when I was younger. And good times, man. Wow. I wonder how, how close in proximity we've been before and didn't even know. That's how it works, man. That's how the universe works. So, hey, Mitch, well, thanks for sharing time today, brother. And, uh, and um, I'll talk to you real soon. We'll stay in touch. Hey, thank you very much. I enjoy this a lot. Anytime, man. I, uh, I enjoy the whole thing. I enjoy connecting with your audience and I enjoy sharing. Thanks, Mitch. Talk to you soon. Bye.